is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. about uh, Daniel, maybe you've heard sort of stories of Daniel in the lion's den uh, and some other things that we've looked at over recent weeks. Uh, you'll know that the first half of the book of Daniel is, um, is sort of historical accounts of Daniel and his friends, particularly Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And uh, they're taken from their, their home and taken away to Babylon, another culture uh, by a foreign king. And uh, they're immersed in this, and uh, they're serving God in another land, away from their home. And the, uh, the first few chapters of Daniel uh, is an account, really, of what happened over many years. Uh, it covers, you know, from Daniel's mid-teens up to his, probably most commentators reckon his mid-80s. So it's, it's a good chunk of his life. And uh, that's the first half of the book of Daniel. Now, if you know anything about the book of Daniel, the second half is slightly trickier, would perhaps be one way of putting it. And uh, we'll come to to exactly what it is uh, in a moment, and also look at why it's there, and why God obviously wanted it included in the book of Daniel. And as I've been looking at the second half of Daniel, so chapters 7 through 12, uh, over the last few weeks, I've really come to the decision to uh, divide it in a certain way, and uh, we're going to spend uh, a few weeks looking at the last remaining chapters in the book of Daniel. Um, some people have said to me, so are you going to do the second half? And uh, on a bad day, I've been saying, no. <laughs> but the answer is clearly yes, because we we're committed to working our way through the book, and actually it's a whole. And even though there are distinct sections in it, and even though it's in fact even a different type of writing, as we'll see uh, in a moment, it's still important that we look at it together and see what God has for us. And so we're going to divide the, uh, the back end of Daniel into chapter 7 and 8 together, chapter 9, and then chapters 10 through to 12. So we'll do it in three sections over the next few weeks. And so the first half of the book of Daniel, the first parts of chapters uh, 1 through to 6, is historical accounts. And it's it's narrative of what happens in Daniel's life and some other individuals as well. And then the back end of Daniel, most of it is what we would call um, prophetic literature, apocalyptic literature. It's writing to do with the, the end times, you might describe it as. So rather than you know, looking back, if you like, at what happened in Daniel's life or him writing accounts of that, is looking forward now to something that's going to happen in the future. And so there is other uh, apocalyptic literature in the Bible, parts of the book of Revelation, for example, uh, parts of Ezekiel, and clearly this part of Daniel as well. And it's full of pictures, it's full of symbols, it's full of numbers, And uh, the best advice I think I can give us as we head into this part of Daniel is don't take it too literally. Okay, it's full of symbols, it's full of pictures, and we'll see lots of numbers as well. 
But we get into problems if we start to take it too literally. So we need to read it for what it is, apocalyptic, prophetic literature. It's, 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 I guess another way of putting it would be, don't get too hung up on the detail. It's like painting with a large brush. So you know if you're painting your living room, if you get one of those big rollers and you sort of dip it in the tray and you start painting the wall, it, it goes on quite wide, doesn't it? It covers a large area in one go. But it's not the same way that you would paint some fine detail, perhaps around some coving or around maybe the edge of a windowsill. You know, you'd use a different brush, wouldn't you? It'd be fine detail. It's different. Or it's the same with this sort of literature. It's big picture stuff. It's like painting with a massive brush. And so we need to understand, excuse me, that's the sort of literature that we're coming into here. And often it has more than one fulfillment. So prophetic literature in the Bible, apocalyptic literature we're going to look at this morning, it often has more than one fulfillment. And actually we we see as we read through that Daniel didn't even understand it all. And bear in mind that God is speaking to him in his particular culture at this particular time and he's finding it hard to understand. So it's not a surprise that some years later, we find it hard to understand. So so don't be afraid to say, you know what, I'm not sure I fully understand this. That's okay. It's okay to say that with this type of literature. So why is it there? That might be a good question. Why is it there? If it's so hard to understand, if it's so different to the early part of Daniel, why is it there? Is God out to confuse us? Is he trying to make it difficult for us? Is he putting some things in the Bible for us to say, well, I don't quite get that. Why is it like that? Actually, if you look at the theme of the back end of Daniel and the theme of the first part of Daniel, the theme is the same. The theme is God is on the throne. God is in control. He hasn't abandoned the world that he made. He hasn't just sort of spun it into motion, let it fly off and sat back and just watched from a distance. The first part of Daniel teaches us that God is on the throne. He is above all earthly powers and rulers. You know what? The second half of Daniel teaches us exactly the same thing. He just does it in a different way. Rather than historical narrative, we've got prophetic symbolism and pictures, and things that God wants to speak to us about. So actually it reinforces the same message that the first half of Daniel talks about. And so we're going to start these these three weeks in the second half of Daniel in chapter 9. Okay, so we're going to jump to chapter 9, we're going to go back to 7 and 8, don't worry, we're not going to miss it out. And the reason I want to start in Daniel 9 is if you'd like to be turning uh, with me to that Uh, passage in your Bibles is you'll see that it's a passage where Daniel prays and last week you'll know if you were with us you'll you'll know that we looked at Daniel praying last week as well just before he got dropped in the den of lions in fact and so I thought it was a good continuation from what we looked at last week to look at Daniel's prayer this morning and link these two weeks together Then next time, we'll jump back to 7 and 8, so we won't miss those out. And then we'll do 10 through to 12. 
Okay, does that make sense? You've got an idea where we're heading now? So we are going to complete this series in Daniel. Uh, it will uh, all uh, end up on the website, so if you've missed weeks, you can download uh, the weeks that you've missed and hear those talks if you'd like to. Okay, so why don't I pray, and then we'll look at Daniel chapter 9 together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your presence. We thank you for speaking to us already this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Daniel. And as uh, we uh, look at now this chapter together this morning and consider it before you, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher. Help us to understand these things. Speak to our hearts, please, and uh, apply these words to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Okay, if you've got a Bible then, we're in Daniel chapter 9. We'll start reading at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous But this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, Hear the prayers and petitions of your servants. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. 
Oh Lord, listen. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, hear and act. For your sake, oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Okay, we'll pause there for a moment. So we can see that uh, Daniel is aware of what has happened to Jerusalem, only too aware. And uh, he's coming to God and praying. We'll look at what he prayed in some more detail in just a second. But last week we looked at uh, Daniel's prayer in Daniel 6. And we saw how the foundation to Daniel's life, how the foundation to his life with God was his relationship with him. It was his prayer life. That's what, that's what kept him going. In difficult times, when things got hard, it was Daniel's relationship with God that sustained him. That's what, that's what kept him in the game. That's what kept him going. It was prayer that fueled his relationship with God. Why was it so important to Daniel? Well, it, firstly, it connected him with God. Secondly, it increased his trust in God. And thirdly, it changed his heart. It connected him to his God. It wasn't that he went through his prayers in some sort of ritual. It was about his heart connecting to the heart of his Father in heaven. Prayer's not an end in itself to tick a box and say, yes, I've done it today. It connects us to our gods. It increased his trust in God. Daniel got to know his God and it increased his trust in him. And it changed his heart as well. He became more sensitive, more obedient, more able to hear from God as he spent time with him. So the, uh, the revivalist Jonathan Edwards said, Prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. Now, looking around this morning, I think most of you are still alive. Some it's hard to tell, admittedly, but most, most of you appear to still be breathing. Um, but what Jonathan Edwards is saying here, that as breath uh, is as, you know, as breathing is as natural for life, then actually prayer is a natural expression of faith. Would that be true of you? Martin Luther King Jr. said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Both of them picked up the same theme there. So to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So we see that the, uh, the prayer here in Daniel chapter 9 is clearly taking place shortly after the end of Daniel 5. So at the end of Daniel 5, we see that God has judged Belshazzar brought his kingdom to an end, and we're told that Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62, right there at the end of Daniel chapter 5. And if we jump, jump back to Daniel 9, Daniel says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in his first year, so that's that, that sort of earth sister, when it was, Daniel understood some things, as we'll see, from the scriptures. So verse 2 tells us that Daniel understood from the scriptures. So it must be true then that he was reading them. Would you agree? The fact that he understood something, the fact that God clearly uh, applied something to his life and stirred something in him, it must have been because he was reading them. But you know, sometimes it's easy to read our Bibles and not allow God to speak to us, isn't it? 
It seems so foolish when we think of it like that, but it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we can think, oh, I've just got to, just got to get through my, my Bible reading. I just want to you know, <clears throat> just read this and move on. Whereas actually God wants to speak to us in the same way that prayer isn't about ticking your box to say we've done it. Same is true about reading the Bible. Actually, God wants to meet us in his words. He wants to speak to us as we read it. And so often we can, we can read through and think, oh, okay, I've done it now, and move on. And not pause and allow God to speak to us, but clearly that's what was happening here with Daniel. God spoke to him. So how's your, how's your Bible reading, I wonder? Are you reading? It would be a, a good question to start with. Those of you who have uh, been around for a little while will know that at the beginning of the year, I made a commitment publicly foolishly perhaps, but publicly, that I was going to endeavour to read through the Bible in a year. And uh, I started off well and, uh, and kept going at this and thinking, I, I, I want to read through it. I've done that before, but I felt that I should you know, read through the entire Bible start to finish. Um, a year seemed like a good sort of time frame to do it in. And uh, so I made good progress. And if I'm being honest with you, because I guess you want me to be honest with you, um, I'm nearly up to date. I'm probably a couple of weeks behind where I wanted to be at this stage. There we are, I'm being honest with you. But I figured it's better to read through the Bible in 54 weeks than not read it through at all. Yeah? So I'm not getting so hung up about the, you know, probably 10 days or so that I'm a bit behind. Because if, I, if it takes me 54 weeks, then okay, I'll live with that. That's still better than not having done it at all. So that's me. That's how I'm doing. What about you? I'm not asking you to tell me now, but you know, I've, I've been honest with you in terms of my challenge and, and what I was doing this year. How's it going for you? Are you reading God's words? Is it staying on your shelf between Sunday meetings? Or are you giving time to reading God's words? You know, it doesn't matter whether it's in printed form or on some digital device that you may have in your bag or pocket. Are you reading it? Are you allowing God to speak to you? As clearly God spoke to Daniel here in Daniel 9. So Daniel's reading, uh, he's reading something from the prophet Jeremiah. We haven't got time to look at that now, but if you want to look it up, it's Jeremiah. I guess it's probably Jeremiah 25. We're not told exactly, but looking through Jeremiah, that's probably the sort of passage he was reading. And he realized that um, God had said that there were going to be 70 years of his people being in exile, being away from Jerusalem, their homeland. And Daniel reads this and he realizes that, ah, he thinks the 70 years is nearly up. He thinks, ah, maybe God is going to do something. And so what does he do? He prays about it. He reads something in scripture and immediately he's praying about it. Listen, it's a great way to pray actually. To read something in God's word and to pray it back to God. Actually, God, you said, for Daniel, he's saying, God, you said this through Jeremiah. There are going to be 70 years of your people in exile. God, I think it's about to be up. And so Daniel gets praying about it. What have you read recently in the Bible? You thought, hey, I think God's speaking to me about this. I want to pray about that. What is it for you? It's actually a great way of praying. God, you said, so would you act? Would you fulfill that which you've promised, please? 
So how do you pray like that? Well, I think there are four things. Number one, you know your Bible. So we've covered that already. You're reading it. You're allowing God to speak to you. Know your Bible. Secondly, know God's promises. See, Daniel knew what God had said. He read it in the, book, in, you know, the writings of Jeremiah, and uh, he pre- prayed it back to him. Because he was praying back to God promises that God had already made and already spoken. That's really good ground to start with. If you're not sure where to start, start with something God has said. Get hold of some of God's promises in his word and, and pray them back to him. God, would it be true of my life? You know, so we, we read promises, don't we? Uh, things like uh, Jesus saying that there'll be streams of living water flying from us, talking of the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you think, well, that's, I don't think that's true of me, if you might think. Well, pray it back to him. Say, God, you've said this, so I want it to be true in my life. There are countless other promises that you can get hold of, but it's a good place to start. No God's promises. Pray them back to him. Pray in faith as well. See, if God said something, pray in faith. Pray like you mean it. God, you've said this. That's what Daniel was doing here. That's what we can do as well with what God has already spoken to us. And for Daniel, it's clear that he prayed and fasted. Maybe consider that as well. Shows God that you're serious, helps you to get some time with him as you give up other things, maybe food or maybe uh, TV or something else to give time with being with God. That's how it worked for Daniel. So if that's how to pray, know your Bible, know God's promises, pray in faith and consider fasting as well, what should you pray? What should you pray? Well, I've got four things. What should you pray? Number one, what do we learn from Daniel in this? Number one, worship and adoration. Worship and adoration. You see verse four there, Daniel prays, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. It's worship, isn't it? Oh God, I love you. You know, you're this sort of God. It's actually the best way to start praying is worship. You're thinking, I'm not sure how to get into this. Then start worshipping God. God is after worshippers. Sometimes we can get into the habit of using God like a heavenly cash machine. And it's like we come to God and we we sort of get get our Bible out maybe. We get our card out, plug it in the machine. Oh God, I need you to do this for me, please. Can you do this? Thank you very much. Take the card back out and it goes away again. Have you ever prayed like that? Actually, I guess most of us have prayed like that. And you know, something else happens and you know, the card comes out again, back in the machine. Oh God, I need you to do this. Quick, help. card comes out and away it goes again. Actually, what God is after is worshippers. Has he got your heart? Has he captured your heart? Are you a worshipper? Maybe use the Psalms for inspiration. Psalms are great inspiration because you get a really honest picture of what life is like. It isn't all great for the psalmist. Clearly, as you read through the psalms, you find that actually life is difficult sometimes. Life is hard work. Life goes wrong. And you get all of that honesty in the psalms. And the psalmist prays it back to God and is very honest about how he feels. But he doesn't stop there. He continues into worship. And worshipping God even in the midst of trial or difficulty, or for David and the men out to kill him, as it was. 
Now, I love the way that Paul, for example, in the New Testament, often breaks into worship in his letters. You know, he's, he's, he's there you know, through Romans. He's outlining some, some great doctrinal truth, teaching the church about it, and bang, he can't help himself. He sort of springs into worship and adoration, and then we're back into the, uh, into the doctrine and the truth again, and then bang, off he goes again, worshipping God. Hey, shouldn't it be like that? Actually, sometimes we can think theology uh, is dry and, and hard work. But actually, if we understand more of God and his truth, what he's done for us, that should be a springboard into worshipping him and loving him for who he is. <clears throat> Jesus prayed like this, didn't he? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Even the prayer that Jesus used started with worship. So how do you pray? What to pray? Number one, start with worship and adoration. Secondly, we see in verse 5 here of Daniel 9, the second thing that Daniel does is confess sin. Number two, confession and repentance. So Daniel confessed the sin of of all the people. Now, Now, let's be clear, you are not responsible for repenting of other people's sin and getting them right before God. They have to do that for themselves. That's between an individual and God. You can pray for them, obviously, but it's not your responsibility to, uh, to repent of it for them. But Daniel was confessing the sin of a nation. That's a bit different. He was saying, God is your people. These are God's chosen people. He's standing in the gap for the, you know, the people, the whole nation here. It's a bit different. And Judah, now separate from Israel, had turned against God. Israel hadn't done great either. Um, and that's why he sent them into exile. That's why they were taken off by the Babylonians. Daniel realized that. Even right at the beginning of Daniel, it's clear that God is in the act here. It's not that somehow everything went wrong and they got overpowered in war, but it's clear that God is in this. And so Daniel confesses the sin of the nation. And for you and me, we need to confess our sin before God and repent of it and, and turn around. It's like being turning around. That's what repentance means. It, it's not just saying, oh, sorry, Lord, and, and moving on, but it's actually actively turning in the other direction, actively turning away from things that draw us away from God and actively turning to him and towards him. Yes, it is saying sorry, but it's so much more than that. It's repenting of those things, turning away from them, turning back towards God and moving towards him. So confession and repentance are right up there, secondly. Thirdly, what Daniel does, we see uh, in verses 13 to 16, we see that Daniel declares truth or declares scripture back to God. So just if you've got your Bibles open, you'll see that Daniel says, just as it is written in the law of Moses, and he goes on. So it's like Daniel's quoting scripture back to God. Now let's be clear, God wouldn't have forgotten it. It's not that he didn't remember what he said. But by doing it, Daniel is as much stirring his heart as speaking to God. God, you have said this. You see, as you declare it, it's like you speak to yourself as much as you speak to God. So the psalmist in Psalm 57 put it like this. He said, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. And it's like the psalmist is speaking to himself, isn't it? He's not speaking to God at that point. He's not saying, awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre to God in some curious way. He's speaking to himself. 
It's like him saying, my heart's steadfast. I, I know I want to worship, but you know what? I'm not sure I feel like it right now. Can anybody identify with that sometimes? So what does he do? He speaks to himself. He goes, come on, soul, wake up. Come on, wake up. I'm going to praise God. And it's like he speaks to himself. He speaks truth to himself. He speaks it into himself. You know what? That's a great thing to do in prayer. As you're praying before God, you're, you're speaking truth into your life as well. That's good. We sang that song earlier, didn't we? Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. You know, we should be looking at us like this when we sing that, shouldn't we? Perhaps not to God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Whatever your soul is. Um, but it's like speaking to ourselves. It's like, come on, soul. Praise God because he's worthy of it. We had some great words during our time of worship, didn't we? Both Jenny and um, Sarah brought. And great things happen as we worship. As our soul becomes aligned to the will of God, as our life gets in the right position, as we worship him, then God does something. As we speak scripture to ourselves, as we realize the truth of it, as we declare the truth of it over our lives, as we pray it back to God and says, God, you said, you know what? God does something. It's not somehow thinking, oh, if I say it enough, I might believe it. And that's not that. It's saying, God, help me to understand what you said and really apply the truth of it to my life, even when it's difficult. And you speak it to yourself, you speak it over your life and say, I'm going to choose to believe this now. I'm going to choose to live in the good of it. Actually, it's a choice that we make, friends. Often we can somehow get out of kilter with what God has for us. And we get all upset about what we think God is doing. Sometimes we need to make a choice to trust him. Even if we don't fully understand it, we make a decision to believe that God knows best. And we choose to trust him in it. That's what Daniel's doing here. Actually, you know what? It's what Daniel has done for the last 75 years or so. Or there are about 70 odd years. He has chosen to trust God even in the midst of being taken off to Babylon. We said right earlier, I think in chapter 1, didn't we, that actually what Daniel could have done was metaphorically thrown all his toys out of the pram and got a strop on and complained that God had taken him away from Jerusalem, away from his family, his friends, everything that was familiar to him, everything that he'd been brought up to know and love and stuck him in this foreign land, away from all these things, away even from the worship of God with the people of God together. He could have just blown it. He could have complained to God and moaned at him and got stroppy about the situation he was in. But instead of that, he made a decision to trust God in it. Now, I guess he had days where he thought, oh, this is just tough. Because he's human. And you see that in the psalmist, don't you? In the psalms, you see that the psalmist has days which are hard going. But both the psalmist and Daniel and other heroes of Scripture made a choice, made a decision to trust God, even in times of adversity and difficulty. So are you doing that? Are you declaring that truth of Scripture? And then fourthly, 
ask God to fulfill his promises. So verses 17 through to 19 in, in Daniel 9 here. Um, Daniel prays, Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. He's talking about Jerusalem here. He asked God to fulfill the promises, to fulfill that, what, that which he has said already. And it leads on from declaring scripture, doesn't it? It's the next stage in that, asking God to fulfill that which he has already said. Same, true, same I guess, is true of, um, of Solomon. Remember Solomon dedicating the temple in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 6? So in 2 Chronicles 6, we find that... Um, where are we? Here we are. We find Solomon praying, verse 36. He says, um, this is Solomon praying now. He says, when they sin against you, so he's praying to God, he's talking about the people of God. When they sin against you, for there is no one who doesn't sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy, who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land and where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity, where they were taken and pray towards the land that you gave their fathers, towards the city you have chosen, towards your temple that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place. Hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. It's like he's prophesying as much as praying, isn't it? About what's going to happen in future years. So Solomon prays this. And then immediately in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, we see that God answers his prayer. 2 Chronicles 7.14, you might know the verse. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So Solomon prayed and God answered. And for Daniel here, we can see that Daniel is praying. He's expecting God to answer He's expecting the situation to change. He's expecting God to do something. And God does, as we see in the history of his people. So if you read on in, in chapter 9 there, you'll, you'll read about <coughs> what happened while he was uh, speaking and praying. Um, you'll see that uh, Gabriel, an angel, comes to him and uh, talks to him. And he talks about the, um, in that part of Daniel 9 as, as well, and as earlier in the first couple of verses, some numbers. And as we said earlier, in this sort of literature, we need to be careful not to get too hung up on numbers. So we see that in uh, verse uh, 2 there of Daniel 9, Jeremiah the prophet has spoken that this desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Well, if you look at the dates, they don't work it out exactly the 70 years, most historians and theologians would say. But that's not the point. You see, the point of this is prophetic. It's apocalyptic literature. It's like using a telescope. 
You, know, you see something closer using a telescope, but you can't tell it quite exactly where it is, can you? And that's, that's like the, what the prophet sees. He can see something in the distance. He can see something is going to happen. It's going to be about 70 years. But we don't need to get too hung up if it's not exactly. Actually, 70 suggests a number of completeness. In the Jewish tradition, both 7 and 10 were numbers of completeness. So 7 times 10, obviously. 70. It's also a symbolic number for a lifetime. Three score years and 10. And so what's happening here is that Daniel can see that something is going to change. He knows that God has spoken. He's read Jeremiah's prophecy. He knows that something is going to change. And what does he do? He decides to pray about it. Actually, Daniel's response is a great response and one that should stir us and encourage us. Because we can see situations around us, can't we, that aren't right. Maybe it's situations in your personal or family life. Maybe we could look at this nation. Maybe we could look at other nations that we know of and say, something is not right. Something needs to change. This doesn't line up with what God wants. And so what do we do? It should drive us to prayer. As we read God's word, as we read his promises, as we read that which he has spoken to us, it should drive us back to pray. Our biblical heroes were great prayers. Daniel particularly, it seems, and others too. They knew how to spend time with their God. I never saw prayer as a ritual, not something on the to-do list to be ticked off when it's done and quickly move on to the next thing. They saw it much more as a relationship, not a ritual but a relationship. Does that describe your life of prayer with God, a relationship? Because that's what he is after. If you only take one thing away from this morning, take this. God is after a relationship with you. And just as any, any human relationship increases in depth as you spend time with the person, the same is true of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I've read all sorts of things this week. Perhaps the banker come up as I begin to finish, please. I've read all sorts of things this week that have uh, been encouraging dads to spend more time with their children, it being Father's Day today. And uh, all sorts of methods and ways to do this that different people have suggested. But the method, message is clear. Dads, we need to spend good quality time with our kids. That's obvious and we need encouraging in that. But the same is true of our Heavenly Father. In the same way that I want to spend good time with my kids. I want them to know me. Not just to know about me. Not just to know that I exist in the same house and I'm occasionally present. But I want them to know me. I want them to love me. I want them to grow up, uh, growing in their relationship with me. Same is true of our Heavenly Father. He wants to increase our relation, his relationship with us. He wants that to grow. He wants us to get to know him better. Because as we do, we learn to trust him more and be with him more. So I wonder, as we draw to a close this morning, what's your response to that invitation from him? God's invitation to you is a relationship this morning. 
Many of you, I guess, will, uh, will know and love the Lord and want to grow in that relationship with him. First, there may be some of you here this morning who don't yet know what it is to follow Jesus and to, and to love him. And if that's you this morning, then God's invitation actually is the same. It's he wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to pray as we close. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. The band are going to lead us in a response uh, in just a moment. Let's just pray over these things, shall we? Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel. God, thank you that here was someone who read your words, understood what you had said, and so prayed it back to you. Father, would that be true of us? Would that be true of our lives? Would we be those who read your words, who understand what you're saying to us, and keenly pray it back, asking you to fulfill that which you've spoken? God, I pray that be true of each of us. Would each of us grow in our relationship with you? Would our relationship with you grow in depth? Not just knowing about you, but really knowing you. Like Daniel knew his God. Lord, would the same be true of us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.com.